We will not read all of the scripture passages listed at this point, but we will read from Mark 1. There we are. Now, please excuse me while I fumble around here. The Holy Spirit led and guided and inspired Mark to write this gospel and to record faithfully and accurately what Jesus said and did. So it is the Word of God, and we'll begin reading at Mark 1, uh, let's make it verse 35, Mark 1, verse 35, and to the end of the chapter. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon And those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him, and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say to no one, uh, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Our Father, our ears have heard your word, and perhaps our eyes have followed it on the page of Scripture before us. But that word which reveals Christ to us is a dead letter unless your Holy Spirit accompanies it, working in our hearts, faith, and understanding, and obedience. So grant us, Lord, that work of your Spirit, that what we have read may open our eyes to see more clearly the beauty, wonder of our Savior and his saving work, and to be built up in the faith. And if there are any present who have not surrendered themselves to Christ as their Lord and Savior, please, Holy Spirit, work in their hearts, saving faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Have you ever been desperate? So desperate, excuse me, so desperate that even though you have big problems and no one knows anything about them and you're safe from other people's condemnation or judgment, but you need help. And so you go to someone you think will be able to help you and care for you, but what you receive is a look of scorn and disgust comes on their face and you vow never, ever to go to anyone for help again. I think a lot of people have had that experience. Jesus is not like that. But here we see in the end of Mark 1, we see desperate need. And you probably know that desperate needs often lead to desperate actions. Not always good actions, sometimes crimes even. But the gospel lesson this morning is about a desperate man who came to the Lord Jesus desperately seeking relief. And he received from the Lord Jesus grace and love. So here in this passage is a mirror. If God gives us the grace to be truly humble before him and to see ourselves in the light of his word, here is a mirror of ourselves that points us to Jesus. So let's consider first the shocking act of the uh, leper. And we need to know what leprosy was when Mark wrote this. What, what leprosy was in the minds of Mark and, and people who read this gospel. <clears throat> uh, we live in a day of medical sophistication, and when we use the word leprosy, we think of Hansen's disease, which is truly, truly a horrible disease. But God in Leviticus 13 and 14, that's two whole chapters, deals with leprosy. And in chapter 13 gives to the priests of Israel uh, tests to diagnose whether someone has leprosy. And what is apparent from that chapter is that it's a variety of skin conditions that aren't all Hansen's disease, as we understand it, but could include uh, such things as psoriasis, uh, scabs that don't heal, lupus, uh, other, other conditions that present themselves to the eye, uh, but not only are visible on the skin, but under the skin, and persist and spread. That's what's covered by the law of the Lord, ceremonial law of the Lord in Leviticus 13. And that's certainly behind Mark's understanding of the word leprosy. So we don't know the exact nature of the leprosy. But what did this mean? What did God intend to, to be communicated with the law in the word of God concerning leprosy? Well, it's called uncleanness, not disease. There's a difference. Uh, you can 
You can have all manner of diseases and not be unclean in God's sight. But leprosy made you unclean. And that's the word that is always used. It's one example, among others in Leviticus, of conditions or actions that would render somebody unclean, that is to say, uh, forbidden to enter the tabernacle and the courts of the Lord, where the Lord dwells among his people, where he is worshipped. It was an outward condition that barred the victim from outward participation in Israel's liturgical worship. It was kind of like excommunication, though not really. And where leprosy was uh, diagnosed by the priest, it resulted in the person being completely, completely ostracized from human society. They had to live outside whatever town or village was their home. They couldn't go back. They couldn't go into houses and be with their families. We read of this. Uh, we read of this in Leviticus uh, 13, 45, and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. He shall His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Numbers 5, the first four verses. The Lord said to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge, and everyone who is unclean through through contact with the dead. So that's two other kinds of uncleanness. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so, put them outside the camp, as the Lord had said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. It's one of the few times they obeyed, I guess. But you see what a horrible disease this was. Even if you didn't have Hansen's disease, having leprosy, as defined in Leviticus 13, was a terrible uh, condition to be in. And we might ask, well, it's God who commands all these things, who calls them unclean, puts them out of the community. Does God hate lepers? Is God being cruel? Does leprosy keep people out of heaven? And the answers to those questions are no, no, and no. God had a purpose, a purpose that reveals something about ourselves if we have eyes to see it and points us to the only cure for our true uncleanness. Leprosy, like those other uh, ways of being unclean in the Old Testament, leprosy was a picture. It was a picture of the uncleanness of sin, the uncleanness of sin. It was a visual, an outward visual aid In other words, it was a picture of you and me in our uncleanness apart from the cleansing work of Jesus Christ. In ourselves, 
We are unfit in the filth of our sins to enter into God's presence. Recall the words of Psalm 24, verses 2 and 3. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his presence? And the answer is, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. It goes on to state other things. What have my hands done? Are they clean? Well, I did wash them with soap this morning. But they're not clean from having been involved in sinful actions. Is my heart pure? Uh, Am I so zealously devoted to the Lord that I hate all evil and turn away from it and, and keep myself from committing any sin? And if we're all honest, if we're honest about ourselves, before the eyes of God who doesn't miss a thing, we have to confess, I do not have clean hands and a pure heart that would permit me to come into the presence of God and stand before him without his terrible judgments falling upon me. So that was the condition of the leper, and that's our condition apart from Christ. Well, let's look at the leper's shocking and desperate conduct. said something about how desperate his situation was, uh, how it must have torn him apart to have to leave uh, family and friends and community and be shut out of the temple precincts. But he is desperate, and so he does something desperate. Like many other lepers, this leper had heard uh, news of all that Jesus had been doing. He'd heard news of how Jesus taught with authority, the coming of the kingdom of God, uh, how he cast demons out of people just speaking a word, how he healed people of many diseases and To this leper, there's hope. There's hope if I can get to Jesus. And so he comes, uh, he hears that Jesus is in his town or on the road near it. He comes, he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And what is he doing? He is violating that taboo. He's supposed to stand off at a distance and say, unclean, unclean. But here he is coming through the crowd, throwing himself at Jesus' feet. And we see his faith. I don't know if it was faith in Jesus as the Son of God, or just confidence that Jesus is sent by God and has amazing, amazing abilities to deliver people from the effect of God's curse on sin. But he throws himself at Jesus' feet with the statement, you can make me clean. He doesn't say, maybe you can make me clean, or can you make me clean? You can make me clean. We see his humility. He's not demanding, but submitting. A model for us when we pray. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Mark tells us that he was beseeching or entreating or imploring. Very strong words. Begging might be used to translate it. He's not a name it and claim it guy. He is humble before the Lord, beseeching. 
what he desires of him. And similarly, as we see our sin, as we come to know our sin, we need to be throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus. I have to say that figuratively. He's not right here. He's there. But if you've seen, begun to see, if you've begun to see your sinful heart and the sinfulness of your actions as God sees them, then you must run to Jesus all the time. Run to Jesus every day to be washed clean. And what will Jesus do? How will he respond? How did he respond to the leper? If the leper's actions were shocking to the people around him, we're not told they were, but they must have been, so was Jesus' response to the leper. So, Jesus' response. And it's a shocking response. What would any self-respecting rabbi or priest have done in this situation? He would have backed up ten steps and said, get away from me, you unclean leper. You know the law. You're not supposed to be doing this. But what did Jesus do? He did not back up ten steps. He was moved with compassion, or with pity as the ESV says. There was no loathing. There was no angry rebuff. And this is the heart of Jesus to every sinner who comes to him for deliverance, for cleansing. Everyone who cries out to Jesus, cries out to God through faith in Jesus, to be made clean from our sin, this is how Jesus responds. No leper, no sinner, is too unclean for Jesus. The second amazing thing that Jesus did is rather than rebuking the man, he said, I am willing. There was no reluctance. There wasn't a, he- a moment's hesitation on Jesus' part. I am willing. I think often when we're confronted with people in need begging for help, uh, we give it a lot of thought <laughs> before responding. But Jesus Jesus immediately says, I am willing. And then the most amazing thing perhaps is he touched the man. And it's not just that the human touch is comforting bespeaks acceptance and reception, is an expression of love and is wonderful for that reason. But in this case, to touch a leper was to what? Take on his uncleanness. Calvin's commentary is the only one that I've seen that points to this, that speaks of it. And we don't know from the gospel record that Jesus then later followed the recipe in Leviticus for becoming clean again after touching a leper. Uh, But it was a great, great act of condescension to, to 
place his hand on that man to express compassion in a tangible, physical way. But this is pointing forward, isn't it, to what is going to come upon Jesus later. He is going to go to the cross, and there he is going to bear our sins. As Peter says, Peter, 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. Or 2 Corinthians 5.21, where the Apostle Paul tells us that for our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, his son. For our sake, the Father made his son to be sin. Who knew knows? It doesn't say he made him commit sin. He never committed sin. But to be sin. Who knew no sin. As if all of the sin of all of the people Jesus came to save was poured out on him and he became filthy and vile with all our sin in the sight of God. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When you come to the Lord confessing your sins, he promises to forgive in Jesus' name. Not just forgive, not just absolve from guilt, but to see you and accept you as righteous in his sight. With the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his Son. Justification is a great work of God for the salvation of great sinners. The fourth thing that Jesus did that was truly amazing, maybe not shocking, but truly amazing, was that as he spoke the word to the man, I am willing, be clean, the man was instantly cleansed. It wasn't like us going to the doctor, getting a prescription, taking the pills for two weeks and hoping that we'll get better. But it was instant. The word of Jesus Christ brought about instant cleansing. And just so, just so instant is the cleansing of everyone from the defilement of our sin when we call to Jesus to make us clean. Now, in all of this, you'll notice, I keep using the word clean, not healed. It was a disease. He healed the man, but it's cleansing. It's cleansing. It's cleansing. And so we come to the fifth wonderful thing here is that he sends the man to the priests for a testimony to them. This is all covered in Leviticus 14. The man therefore, was to go to the priest in Jerusalem, uh, was, to present, was to present himself to be examined, and then to make sacrifices for his cleansing and atonement. A week later, be checked again. Same thing. And 
I can't remember now if it's the third time or if the second time is good enough. But when he's proved to be clean of any leprosy, he's allowed to do what? Return to his home, return to his family, return to the synagogue in his village, return to the temple to join the people of God in public worship. In other words, the man wasn't, his, his deliverance was not complete just by healing his body. His deliverance was complete only when he was fully restored to fellowship in the covenant people of God and to the worship of God. And so I think the same is true for us. If you are cleansed from your, the guilt of your sin by Jesus, then you are restored to fellowship with God and you belong in Christ's church. I don't know if there's anybody here who's wandering church to church or wondering if I belong in a church, probably. There may be, there may not be, I don't know. But if you call upon the Lord to cleanse you from all your sin before God, to declare you righteous in Jesus, then you belong. You belong in the church of Jesus Christ. You belong with God's people when they gather together in Jesus' name to give him worship and thanksgiving for his saving mercies. Now, for a testimony to them. He used to go to the priest for a testimony to them. I think the first aspect of that was testifying that he was cleansed. But what more? How many times in the Old Testament do we read of anybody being cleansed from leprosy? Anybody know? How many? Five? Four, three, two, one. <laughs> the Syrian general. The pagan <laughs> idolatrous general from Syria heard from a little girl that there was a prophet in Israel who could heal people from leprosy. And he came. And it's, it's a complicated story. I won't go into it. But Elisha told him what to do. He did what Elisha told him to do. He was completely cleansed. And he became a worshiper. He had to go back to the, to the king. He had to go back. But he was allowed to carry soil from Israel and make a little shrine where he would bow toward Jerusalem and pray to the true, live, true and living God who healed him. And Elisha gave him permission when, he, when, when the king had to lean on his arm to go into their pagan temple uh, to, to do that, to be willing to do that, but of course not worship the pagan God. So one man, one man in the whole Old Testament that we know of was cleansed from leprosy. And now this man. And later on Luke tells us there are ten more. Ten more who get cleansed. And probably a lot more. Because Jesus healed all who came to him for healing and deliverance. And what does this demonstrate? That Messiah has come. John the Baptist had a problem. He was in prison. He's the one who said to, about Jesus to the crowds, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Peter and Andrew and John and a couple of others, they followed him from that day at the Jordan River. But John's now in prison and he's wondering, you know, if, if Herod, who mocks God and treats God's prophet this way, 
you know, if God hasn't judged him, then maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe he isn't the Messiah. And so he sent some of his followers, disciples, to Jesus. And they said to him, this is Matthew eleven two through 6. They said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said, go and tell John the things which you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So Jesus didn't answer verbally and say, yes, I am the one. John should not lose heart. But he did those things, which the Old Testament, especially Isaiah, which the Old Testament said would be done by Messiah when he comes. So that is the second part of the leper going to the priests as a testimony. It's a testimony to Jesus. Somebody is out there cleansing people from leprosy. Well, they knew. They knew who it was. He had a reputation. Well, what then? Uh, Jesus told the man, don't be telling people what, what I did for you. Don't, don't tell. Now, his reason for that is it would take another sermon to explain, so I'm not going to try. Uh, but just, it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. But we live after Jesus completed his saving work on the cross. We live after Jesus rose from the dead. And especially we live after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And so we're in a different situation from this cleansed leper. And Jesus' word to us is, what? Tell everybody. <laughs> Tell everybody. Uh, now, Jesus had great love, great compassion for us in our fallen, cursed, sinful condition. And by his Holy Spirit, he brought us to life in him, made us clean, and dwells in us by the Spirit. This should certainly fill us with thanksgiving to God. And every day as we read the Word, maybe not every day, huh? Uh, when we read the Word or the Holy Spirit pricks our conscience and we realize that we've sinned and we go to Jesus, He cleanses us as only he can do. And we should be filled with thanksgiving and joy because of this. That we can come into the presence of God. We can come to the very gates of the heavenly Jerusalem and look in and see by faith all the angels worshiping God. All the Christian believers, the saints who have gone before us and are now perfected in his presence. We can see Jesus whose blood declares forgiveness for our sins. And we can tell others what Jesus has done for us. We can love them in Jesus' name as he has loved us. And when we do so, remember 
Jesus touched the man. There are people we would like to testify to about Jesus from a distance because we don't want to get too close to the ickiness of their lives, perhaps. But Jesus didn't back up. He touched the man. And we should be willing to embrace people we run across, people we know, who have done perhaps really horrible things in their lives. Uh, Things that are disgusting. But we know what they need. They need Jesus. And if God gives us the opportunity, we should bear witness to Christ with the assurance that he forgives sins and we don't judge them. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, where would we be if you had not been willing to send your Son from heaven to deliver us from our sins? Where would we be, Lord Jesus, if you had been so disgusted with the evil in our hearts, the rebellion in our hearts, the sinful words and things that we've said and done, where would we be if you had not come to be our Savior? But you did come. And you didn't save us with words, you saved us with the action of going to the cross, being nailed to the cross, being put to shame and humiliation and bearing in yourself the shameful guilt of our sins in our place and for us. And so we come to you now. We ask you, Father, if we have already in this service before, that you would cleanse us from all the guilt of all our sins, certainly those we've committed since last Lord's Day and today. Forgive us and cleanse us. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. Fill us with thanksgiving. Fill us, O Lord, also with love for those who need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.